Today on Blue 58, the Packers are 3-0 after a thrilling win over the New Orleans Saints. And even if it wasn't perfect or always pretty, it's hard to not just bask in a quality win over a quality team. So let's do just that. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here celebrating your 3-0 Green Bay Packers. This wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always sharp, but they won, and they are 3-0. That's as good as you can be. People forget that sometimes. It Even even me, it's hard sometimes when you see how it could be better to not overlook the fact that 3-0 and is, is as good as you can possibly be through three games. And this game, it's hard to even... Pick it apart too much. Sometimes when you go on the road into an environment that still seemed pretty hostile, even with no fans there, you just got to take it as it comes. The defense wasn't perfect. The offense wasn't necessarily as sharp as it could have been at times. But still, overall, they knew what they were getting in the Saints. The Saints gave them a tough game. And the Packers still came out on top. That's pretty darn good. So let's start breaking this one down by going through our customary three good things, first of all. First and foremost, we got to talk about how good the offense was. This is the best defense the Packers have played so far. The Saints run defense is legit. They threw some interesting looks out there against the pass. They've got some real good players at every level. And the Packers still did just fine. Again, it wasn't always pretty. But of the nine drives they had that weren't ended by the half, either the first half or the end of the game, they scored on seven of them. That despite no Devontae Adams. That despite going only two of five on third and longs. That despite only 86 yards on 18 touches by Aaron Jones. You didn't have your best playmaker. You didn't have your other great playmaker firing on all cylinders because, in part, he was going against a very good defense. And still, they come away with 37 points. The best drive of the night had to be their last real drive. The Packers take over for their last real drive with 6.36 to go in the fourth quarter on their own 36-yard line. And the stakes here are huge. A field goal only puts them up Six points. The Saints get the ball with a chance to run out the clock or get a chance to win and leave very little time on the clock, to go up with very little time on the clock. The Packers there really have to get a touchdown or just run out the clock entirely. They open with two explosive plays. Later, Aaron Rodgers gets a guy offside. Racks up a defensive pass interference on a free play. And eventually the Packers end up at the end zone. It's 37-27. The game is over. It's hard to do much better than that. Knowing what the stakes are. You're well out of the scripted portion of the game, so it's not like you can fall back on your most practiced and prepared plays. This is Matt LaFleur needing to call good plays. This is Aaron Rodgers in the offense needing to execute at a high level again when the stakes are very high. 
And this is them doing just that. They put their playmakers in position to make plays, and they did. And they won the game, or put the game away, let's say it that way, on that drive. For the next good thing, I want to flip over to the the defensive side and talk for just a second here. We don't have a ton to say because it's hard to talk about this in depth without film study, but I think we got to at least mention the Packers' young linebackers. So Christian Kirksey goes out pretty early. That means it's going to be Ty Summers and Chris Barnes and Oren Burks filling in the rest of the way. That is Chris Barnes, the undrafted free agent from this year. Ty Summers, the seventh-round pick from last year, who has never played a snap on defense in the NFL. And Oren Burks, who remains to this day Oren Burks. And other than Ty Summers missing pretty bad on Kamara's big touchdown, there's not a whole lot to complain about. In fact, you like the athleticism out there a lot. Ty Summers, Chris Barnes, and Oren Burks combined for 11 tackles and did pretty well at limiting the run after the catch in most instances. Now, of course, there is a pretty big and obvious exception there, but given how they played as a whole, It's hard to dislike them all that much, especially with what they're dealing with there. Barnes is only ever supposed to be a sidekick. Ty Summers is not supposed to be wearing the communication headset. And Oren Burks at this point probably shouldn't be playing much on defense at all. Yet that they're out there late in the game, keeping the Saints from busting things wide open, is admirable. And I think that's kind of the case for the defense as a whole as we come to our third and final thing here. Sure, some caveats with this performance. Yes, they still gave up 30 points. Yes, there was no Michael Thomas. They got pretty minimal pressure on Drew Brees, too. And though with how rarely he goes beyond 5 to 10 yards, I don't know how much pressure you're ever really going to get. But still, this is a pretty darn good effort. They forced three three three-and-outs, none of them bigger than the very last one. Packers just went up by a field goal. 30-27. The Saints get the ball back with 8.47 to go. Here's how that drive plays out. They get a check down to Alvin Kamara for just a couple. Short cross to Alvin Kamara. Ty Summers right there immediately to make a nice tackle in space. Bringing up third and five. They go with a screen to Alvin Kamara. And Chandon Sullivan and Kevin King are there to blow it up. Ending the Saints drive. And they of course punt back to the Packers who take it right down the field in that drive we just talked about. It's hard to complain about that. Even if it wasn't as pretty as it could have been, even if the Saints were missing their most explosive weapon in the passing game, they took care of business and got the Packers' offense back onto the field in a crucial situation. Now the bad. I can really only think of two things here. First, Alvin Kamara. Look, we know Alvin Kamara is a great player, but that's exactly the problem. Coming into this game, the Packers knew all about Alvin Kamara. They knew all the things you could expect from Alvin Kamara, and he still tore the Packers apart, doing exactly what you would expect Alvin Kamara to do. 9.7 yards per carry, 10.7 per reception. How do you let that happen? 
I don't have a lot to add there, but why did it seem like the Packers were so surprised at the way the Saints were using Alvin Kamara? He's good, but he's not that good. There's a play in the second half where Kamara just ended up all by himself on one side of the field for a little swing-slash-design check-down play. And he strolled for 12, 13, 14 yards. Wasn't even going full speed when he went out of bounds. He just sort of jogged to a stop because he, he knew he couldn't get any further. How does that happen? With Michael Thomas out, he is literally the only offensive player who can gouge you in a big way on the Saints offense. And still gouge he did. This isn't like basketball where you can just say, we're going to let one guy get his shots off and we're going to shut down everybody else because there's no way you can beat us that way. One guy can be enough. And Alvin Kamara nearly was. The second thing is kind of nebulous. And I'm, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But I wonder about the process a little bit sometimes. The Packers did a lot of damage through the air today, yesterday, I guess, as I record this now. It's quarter to one in the morning. It's actually not that bad out. Very pleasant late night in northwest Ohio today. Crickets are chirping. Still not quite fall temperatures yet. You don't care about this. Um, The Packers got stuff done through the air today, despite no Devontae Adams. But I don't think it should be a super ringing endorsement of their strategy at receiver. They got all those yards, in part because of busted coverage, and in part just because just of scheme. And that's a little bit of a defense of, of what they've done. But they also misfired on a few plays down the field because Aaron Rodgers was just a little bit off on a couple shots to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And to me, you can look at that as Aaron Rodgers being not quite so sharp today, or you can look at it as Marcus Valdez-Scantling, one of your top two receivers in in this particular game, can really only run two routes. Pretty deep and really deep. And the margin for error on those throws is so slim that it's really hurting your passing offense. The Packers had nobody who could get open on those sort of mid-range routes. Everything was was schemed open for tight ends or deep shots to Alan Lazard. And it worked, sure, but that doesn't seem like a a surefire recipe for success. The Packers, outside of Devontae Adams, still don't have anybody who's going to just beat a guy one-on-one. Darius Shepard was getting meaningful reps at receiver today. Is that what you want to be happening against a playoff caliber team? No matter what you think of Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, isn't that exactly when you would want a young wide receiver prospect with more upside than a guy like Darius Shepard or Malik Taylor taking reps? I think so. Same is kind of true for the defense. The defense was soft up the middle, again, That was an issue last year. Now you're having to compensate for Kenny Clark being out by having Zadarius Smith stand up in an A-gap doing things that aren't really really his job. 
And so it just makes me wonder, like, these were issues that were present the last time the Packers walked off the field to end the 2019 season. And there's still issues now. So what did you do all offseason? It's hard to complain about that too much because the Packers still did win. But if you're getting good results with a bad process, does that mean you're lucky or does it mean you're good? I think it's more on the lucky side, right? And of course, there is a lot more to it than this. The Packers receivers have had success to this point in the season because the scheme has gotten them to that point. And that's not necessarily bad. But if you face a good defense, sometimes you need a little bit more than scheme. And I wonder if just a couple plays had gone differently, would you end up relying in a high leverage situation on MVS or Alan Lazard getting open one-on-one against a high-end corner? I don't know. Kind of just thinking out loud here. Ultimately, the Packers are 3-0. and And what this means is pretty good stuff top to bottom. Again, 3-0, and that's as good as you can be. Just jot that down. Always keep reminding yourself of that. Every time you want to say, yeah, but they didn't draft a wide receiver. Oh, wait, that was me. Yeah, they're 3-0, and though. Things are working so far. And the offense might just legitimately be this good. Once might be an accident. Twice might be a coincidence. Three times starts to look like a trend. And they've had 35-plus, 37-plus in three games now. Guy could kind of get used to that. I kind of plan to for now. Also shows that their game will travel too. Even with no crowd, there's just the logistical unfamiliarity, all that sort of stuff that goes with being on the road. And the Packers took care of business. They beat a pretty darn good team on the road. Even if that road environment isn't as hostile as it usually is, that's still an accomplishment in and of itself. So what happens next? Well, the Packers get the 0-3 Falcons at Lambeau Field on Monday Night Football. Cool. Another primetime game on a weeknight. Get to be up late with you again. I love that part of it. I don't always like the journey to the getting to the late night podcasting. But still, I don't want to complain too much about actual Packers football. It's a fun time. I say that with a smile on my face when I when I semi-complain about being up late podcasting. We choose to do this, so it's a lot of fun, too. There is there is something fun about, I don't know, It's it, it kind of gets back to that thrill of being up late on a school night. Like when you watch Monday Night Football, I I whenever I think of staying up late on a on a school night, it always does come back to Monday Night Football. I always think to think back to the Packers game against the Bears on on Monday Night Football. That season the Bears were playing on the University of Illinois uh, Illinois uh, Stadium or at the University of Illinois Stadium, um. And just begging my dad to stay up a little bit later into the second half. Just a little bit later. Just a little bit later. Just a little bit later. And finally, uh, Joe Johnson forces a fumble up into the air. Kabir Baja Biamila snatches it out of the air and runs for a long touchdown. And you can say, ah, all right, that's it. I can go to bed now. That's what it feels like to do a show like this late at night. So anyway, the Packers will be playing on Monday Night Football next week. They'll be playing the Falcons, who gave up a big lead to the Bears today. And Chicago came back and won, thanks in part to Nick Foles, a storyline we can follow throughout the rest of this season. It's worth wondering whether the Falcons may have a new head coach by then. And that would be an interesting turnaround because the Falcons were the Packers' 
first game after they fired Mike McCarthy in 2018. If the Falcons would decide to fire Dan Quinn, which just seems unlikely looking at the team culture there in Atlanta, but you never know, that would be kind of an interesting little footnote to that game. Let's clear out the notebook and then send you off into your Monday. Billy Turner got the start for the Packers at right tackle today. I don't really, I didn't see anything about that after the game or in game really. I would like to know more about that because I thought Rick Wagner did a pretty good job through the first two weeks of the season. So did they like Turner better against like Cam Jordan? Did they like their combination of Lucas Patrick at guard with Billy Turner next to him better than they liked Patrick and Wagner or maybe Turner and Wagner? Matt LaFleur has said several times this season that he wants to get the Packers' best five linemen on the field. That's obviously his thought process here. I'd be interested to know why he thinks that's his best five. On the Packers' first drive of the game, Aaron Rodgers had another pass batted down at the line. I think that is at least four this year, maybe more than that. It may just be an anomaly. Maybe that's just how the the law of averages goes on something like that, but it feels like it's happening more to him this year. And I'm not sure what that means, but uh, it does seem noteworthy. Packers got an interesting horse collar penalty on the on their second drive. Um, and I say interesting, and I'm 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 really just using a euphemism, euphemism there. It was a it was a really bad bad call. It was just a weirdly officiated game, top to bottom, and the Packers were the beneficiary of a couple calls. I'm not denigrating the Packers' win at all for that. It's just the way it is. Eventually, bad calls will break against the Packers, and the Saints are a uniquely undisciplined team this year. We even talked about that in the the pregame show, and it showed again in this game, but they definitely did not get the benefit of of the doubt on a couple of those penalties, and uh, just a just a weird, weird game top to bottom. It's much better to be on the, the positive end of that than the negative end, and the Packers surely have been on the other end a few times as well. We just passed, what, the eighth anniversary of the fail Mary? So, I mean, every team has stuff like that they can point to. Uh, on that same drive as the weird horse collar penalty, Aaron Rodgers had a 13-yard scramble. That marks his first explosive play of the year. That is, he is on pace for a, I don't want to say a career low, but his lowest explosive play total since 2014. Rodgers only gets credit for the ones where he is running the ball. Um, so the Packers are still producing explosive plays at a fairly high rate, but um, he is just not doing it so much on the ground. Speaking of another explosive play the Packers had, they opened their third drive of the game with a deep shot to Alan Lazard, lined up on the left side of the formation and ran something of a double move. Then in the backfield, the Packers ran play action, even with a little jet motion flare. This seems a lot like the old Jordy Nelson shot play, but with a 2020 twist. And boy, I am excited to see it. It's fun to watch the Packers take shots deep down the field. And even if it's to somebody as, as slow as Alan Lazard. If it works, there's really nothing to complain about. And it's it's working pretty well. Lazard continues to produce yardage in big, big chunks. This is an extremely tiny thing, so we'll combine it uh, with another defensive line nugget. First, Kingsley Kiki had two sacks, took a second to register who he was, now tied for the team lead in sacks, as expected. Of course, everyone uh, coming into the season assumed that Kingsley Kiki would be among the team's leader in sacks. But 
His fellow defensive line running mate Billy Wynn elevated from the practice squad this week, knocked down a pass in the second quarter. That's not nearly as exciting as a sack, but it's worth noting because this was Wynn's first regular season game since 2016. It's the first time he's been on an NFL field in a game that counted in almost half a decade. He's had a series of season-ending injuries, but now he's back. And that's really exciting. Uh, don't know anything about him as a person, as really even a player to this point, but that is that's still, that is a long road to walk. And it's pretty cool that he made it all the way back, and even cooler that it came for the Packers. The Saints had three fumbles in this game, but recovered two. Coming into this game, they hadn't fumbled one single time. Turnovers are kind of weird that way, but uh, they nearly came in bunches for the Saints. Oren Burks forced one on special teams. Kingsley Kiki forced another. Finally, the Packers did recover one when Zedaria Smith forced Taysom Hill to fumble. That was extra sweet. Mercedes Lewis scored his second touchdown today since he joined the Packers in 2018. Great catch. I don't really think it was offensive pass interference, but what a self-owned by Malcolm Jenkins, though. Basically admitting that he can't cover Mercedes Lewis and asking to be bailed out. Props for knowing your weaknesses, I guess, but boy, I don't know if I'd have gone that route. In general, Packers' tight ends were pretty darn good in this game. Together, nine catches, 104 yards, two touchdowns, almost all schemed open. Not really like a great individual efforts on any one of them, just, just taking what's there. But that's fine. That's what they're there for. Plus, on Robert Tanyan's touchdown, uh, we got another unbelieved F-bomb on the broadcast, which is amusing to see. Obviously, bad thing for your TV product, but just uh, just another little twist of, uh, of 2020. Finally, Packers' last scoring drive. All-time great example of the differences in discipline. Yes, there were some bad calls that went against the Saints, but the Saints also brought a lot of stuff on themselves. The Packers' last real scoring drive, last real drive of the game, is a perfect example. Third and three, Rodgers gets the Saints to jump on a hard count. They do. Uh, he knows he's got a free play. I was a little bit surprised they didn't blow it dead, but I'm glad they didn't because Aaron Rodgers throws the ball up in the end zone and gets a defensive pass interference. That means the Packers can get the ball on the one-yard line. The offside penalty is, of course, declined. The pass interference is accepted. It went from just, oh, just five yards, we can still slow him down, to, oh, a touchdown is all but guaranteed. And just watching the defensive back's reaction, didn't catch his name, but he looked surprised and almost like he had forgotten for a second that he could still be flagged for pass interference. Because you could see why he did it. Alan Lazard had good position to go up and, and catch, the, catch the ball for a sure touchdown. And he just thought he was trying to stop a play that was all but dead already. Not so. You can still be flagged for defensive pass interference. The Saints, again, going out of their way to beat themselves. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it with somebody you think would enjoy it as well. That's going to help us continue to grow our conversation around the Packers and help ultimately all of us continue to become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.